0: strange thing happened on the way to this sermon. I found myself in need of the very thing I would be preaching about, care. As most of you know, my father passed away a couple of weeks ago. We held a service for him last weekend in New Jersey. And so for the past couple of weeks, I have found myself on the receiving end of care, which has been kind of an unusual experience for me because I'm usually the one offering care to people but it's turned out to be a remarkably helpful and enlightening experience. And and I'll share a bit more about that as we make our way through the message today. Uh, Today, we come to the final message of our winter series in which we've been exploring the risks and the rewards of a with others life. And our premise has been that you can't be a disciple of Jesus or make a disciple of Jesus alone. Discipleship and disciple-making are relational endeavors. So each week, we've been focusing on the one another teachings of the New Testament. Love one another. Empathize with one another. Speak to one another. Show hospitality to one another. Forgive one another. Put one another first. Well, we set the preaching calendar months ago, and I remember at the time thinking that caring for one another— seemed like a strange way to end the series. Like maybe we should end with something more grand or profound. I also remember wondering if if I was the best person to be preaching on that theme. I've never felt like that was my strongest gift. Now, I obviously, I do a lot of caregiving in my pastoral role, and, and, and I know how to do that. But on a personal level, when it comes to extending care in practical ways to people around me, I'm not sure I've always done as much as I could have or should have. So was I really the right person to be preaching on care? But in the providence of God, here I am, preaching on this theme in the wake of my father's passing. In a season when I've learned about care firsthand, things you can't learn from books and commentaries. And what I've learned has caught me by surprise and and led me to a slightly different message than I might have preached a month or two ago. My original title for the message was Beyond Thoughts and Prayers. I was picking up on the current cultural cynicism around that phrase, thoughts and prayers. It can sound trite and cliche, a superficial way of, of offering care without actually having to do anything. And when it comes to things like like gun violence and racial injustice, we surely need more than than thoughts and prayers. So I was going to come down pretty hard on the need for action when it comes to care. But what I've discovered the past couple of weeks is that when it comes to the challenges of everyday life, uh, to the journey we call discipleship, thoughts and prayers can actually be quite powerful. Powerful. Well, let me show you what I mean. As we've done throughout this series, we'll look at a few passages from the New Testament as we try to understand what care means and, and why it's so important. Along the way, we'll turn into a couple of video clips that will help us understand what care actually looks like and feels like in real life. So let's begin in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It's a verse we've looked at before in this series, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. As I said, we considered this verse before under the heading of forgiveness. But notice that Paul precedes the forgiveness command with the command to be kind and compassionate to one another. And he uses a couple of rich and textured words here. The word he uses for kind describes behavior that's not only good or helpful, but has an element of beauty and delight to to it. Uh, When someone is kind to you, when a stranger holds a door for you, and when a neighbor shovels your driveway, it catches you by surprise. It's unexpected. It feels good. And the word translated compassionate has a visceral, emotional quality to it. It literally means from the bowels, as if your thoughts and actions are coming from a deep place within you. So taken together, the words suggest that Christian caring has a beauty and genuineness about it that, that's uncommon and powerful. It comes from a deep place, and it touches us in a deep way. I experienced that this past weekend when when one of my teammates on staff and their spouse showed up at the funeral, making a five-hour drive each way just to be with us for a couple of hours. And when I apologized for not having much time to spend with them, they said, don't worry about us, just tend to your family. We're just here to watch and listen. It was a kind and compassionate thing to do. I think it's safe to say that kind of caring is, is especially uncommon today. We talked a couple weeks ago about the empathy deficit in our culture. With So much bad news in the media, so much hostility on social media, not to mention a sickening virus lurking in the air. The world suddenly feels more dangerous and, and, and unpredictable. People have become protective, insular even apathetic to the needs and problems of others, as if we're afraid to stick our necks out, to risk getting hurt or looking foolish or getting sucked into someone else's problems. Well, in contrast to this relational apathy and resistance, Paul calls us, calls us to move toward people and their problems, to feel their pain and hurt deeply, to care about what they're going through and to think about how we might help, and to do it in ways that catch them by surprise. Well, let's jump to another verse that brings out another dimension of Christian caring. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. This is part of a much longer section on the church as the body of Christ, with eyes and ears and hands and feet all playing a part, each one needing the other to function properly. And because of that interdependence, each part has equal concern for the other parts. We know how that works. When you stub your toe on the coffee table, your whole body feels the pain. And when one of us suffers loss or sickness or a heartache, we all feel it. Have you taken a close look at our graphic for this series? Uh, Once again, our designer, Katie, has done a beautiful job capturing the, the richness of the one another concept. Uh, The different colors and layers remind us that life is uneven and, and always changing. We never know what we're going to encounter as we make our way across the landscape of life. And did you notice the two climbers in the corner rope together as they make their way across that landscape? The rope means that what happens to one of them will affect the other one. That if one gets into trouble, the other will be there to help. And then, running vertically along the side, we see the one another commands of the New Testament, strung and woven together as if they themselves are a climbing rope, keeping us tethered to one another as we make this journey called discipleship. Now, having done some climbing in younger days, I remember how scary and lonely it can feel, clinging to the side of a cliff with no one in sight, You're vulnerable and exposed. Your muscles begin to twitch. Panic begins rising in your chest. But then your partner gives a little tug on the rope, reminding you that he's there. You're lonely, but not alone. You're in this together, and together you'll make your way to the top. Uh, The other night, Karen and I watched a Netflix documentary called The Alpinist. About a free solo climber named Marc Andre Leclerc, who has made some of the most difficult and dangerous climbs on earth alone, without partner or protection. And at one point, they interviewed a, a seasoned mountaineer who's known many of these solo climbers over the years. And after marveling at their courage and skill, he pauses for a moment as if his voice is catching. And he tells us that that half of them are gone, most of them at an early age. The mountains are unforgiving, especially to those who tackle them alone. Life can be unforgiving too. It's certainly not predictable or safe. We were never meant to do it alone. That's why God wired us for friendship and romance and partnership and community. And we were never meant to make the discipleship journey alone. Like that seasoned mountaineer, I've been at this disciple-making thing a long time. And I worry, as I see many believers today thinking they can follow Jesus on their own, off-rope, so to speak, without the church, as if they don't need the body and can do it on their own. And they probably can for a while. Until they find themselves alone on the side of a cliff called grief or failure or sickness or doubt. We need each other, Paul says, to be connected to one another like the parts of a body, to be tethered to one another like a team of climbers. And I've been reminded of that these past couple of weeks by the pile of cards I've received expressions of sympathy and care, mostly from members of the Grace Chapel family. A few of them have shared bits of their own stories or words of encouragement, but most of them have simply signed their names and let us know their thoughts and prayers were with us. And it's been surprisingly meaningful. After the funeral on Saturday, I woke up Sunday morning feeling sad and exhausted most of you know that feeling that emptiness that comes when it's all over after breakfast i laid down on the couch and began opening cards that had come in the mail one by one karen and i were amazed at how comforting it was to read the sentiments and those cards and to read your names written with care i was lonely but, but I wasn't alone. There was someone, a lot of someones on the other end of that rope. It's been a comfort to me, but it's also been a bit of a rebuke. It was too often, I, I've meant to send a card, but just never got around to it. I, I've talked myself out of it, wondering if one more store-bought card really means anything. Well, now I know. It means a lot. So thank you, all of you who sent cards and emails. And forgive me, those of you I have failed to reach out to along the way. Well, let's look at another text quickly and then take a break for a story. Uh, Jumping down to another one of Paul's letters, this one uh, to the church in Galatia. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Paul reminds us that even though we're free from the demands and the judgments of the law, that doesn't mean we simply give in to our self-centered and self-serving tendencies. We're free now to really enter into relationships with each other, to serve each other, not out of duty or obligation, but out of genuine concern for one another's welfare. Uh, That word translated serve was used to describe the everyday duties of a household servant, cooking, cleaning, carrying, managing, whatever was needed to make life work around the house or the business. So, while the previous two passages focused on our thoughts and feelings towards one another, kindness and compassion, this text focuses on our behavior, putting love into action in practical, helpful ways. So, thoughts and prayers are beautiful and powerful, but so are actions. So, so in addition to those thoughts and prayers, caring for one another might mean Cooking a meal, or or offering rides, or running errands, or babysitting, or making phone calls, or cleaning the house. I heard recently about a couple at Grace who experienced care in, in some of the ways we've been describing today, so I invited them to come in and share a little bit of their story. Cindy and Scott began attending the Wilmington campus a few years ago, just before getting some difficult news. Uh, Let's let them tell it in their own words.
1: Oh, I wasn't prepared for that one. Who (laughs) am I?
2: I'm sure we'll do this a few times. Hi, my name is Scott Santos. I live in Haverhill, Mass. We've been coming to Grace in Wilmington about two years before COVID. And this is my beautiful wife.
1: I am Cindy Santos. This is my beautiful husband right here. February of 2021, I was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. I went in for a routine exam and they told me that they were absolutely sure that I had cancer. Uh, I I was absolutely shocked. The first few weeks were the worst part, I think, of, of the whole journey because I didn't know what the journey would look like and I was just terrified really really terrified. I had just started a new Bible study. I just didn't feel like I could continue. One of the ladies, uh, Marie, who kind of heads up women's Bible studies, called me um, and said, we missed you. You know, are you okay? And I told her what was going on. She said immediately, what can we do? And I said, oh we don't need anything but prayers. Well, we just need a lot, a lot of prayers. She said, you know, do you need meals? Do you need rides? What can we do for you? And we said, you know, we're good. Yeah, we did. You know, we're, we're good. We got this.
2: Part of her treatment was going to Dana in Boston, six weeks, five days a week, Monday through Friday. These women just said, no, Scott, you're not going to drive her in every day.
1: And we didn't realize how much we needed that. We didn't even know what to ask for when someone said, yeah. do you need anything? So they just knew. They just went ahead and did it. They, they made a, a food train for us. They delivered meals three days a week. I had women coming from Everett, um, from the South Shore, coming up, Somewhere. picking me up yeah. <laughs> driving me into Boston, waiting for me because it was COVID, they couldn't come in. You know, this was every single day that these women were doing this for me and I, I couldn't believe it. I was just blown away. I met someone in the group Um, in the encourage group, and she would call me every single day before radiation, and we would recite the 23rd Psalm together over the phone, and she never missed a day, ever. It was such a wonderful reminder to just say the 23rd Psalm every single day before getting into that machine. Just changed the way that my mind was thinking and I think it kind of prepared my body to accept what was you know the treatment that I was receiving I really felt that from the beginning that God wasn't done with me yet and I knew that there was something that I still needed to do and um, and now I just try and help wherever I can in this the smallest amounts or the biggest amounts I try to help anyone who is in need of companionship, prayers, love, food, anything. Just to be there. Just to be there. Exactly.
2: One of the things that we want to do after this is, how do we give back? In my case, a friend of mine that I work with, her mother was just starting to go to Dana Farber. And again, this was during COVID. And I said, hey, do you know, okay, so you're going in, and I'm, you know, I said, I'm so sorry. And I told her she'd be, her mom would be in our prayers, but I said, do you know how, where to park? And where? do you know where to get food? And, and when you first go, you don't. And all those little things make a huge difference. And her mother just recently passed away and I was at the funeral on Friday and she pulled me aside and said, I could not have done it without your help.
1: Uh, the prognosis is good. I'm in remission now and at five years, they'll let me know that I'm cured. But the prognosis is good. I think for me, I'm, it's a new feeling of love that I've never experienced before, and I want more. You know, I just, I want more. I want to learn more, I want to do more, I want to give more, I want to be more.
0: Well, at a certain point on their journey, Cindy and Scott found themselves in a tough spot on the side of a cliff called cancer. And at first, like so many of us, they were tempted to go it alone, to turn inward and and figure it out on their own. But then, like the tug of a climbing rope, a simple phone call reminded them that they were connected to other believers That they were fellow climbers who wanted to help, who had time and skill and strength to see them through the crisis. And not just to see them through, but to help them conquer it. So that in the end, they emerge from the experience stronger in their faith, more deeply connected to the body, more eager than ever to come alongside others who need care. You see, when we care for one another in thought, word, and deed, We invite the power and presence of Christ into our lives and community. When we care for one another in thought, word, and deed, all three of those matter, we invite the power and presence of Christ into our lives and into our community. Because, you see, it's not just Cindy and Scott's story. It's the story of everyone who clipped in with them on that journey and offered care in one way or another. Every one of them is further along on their discipleship journey because they went through that experience together. They weren't just caregiving. They were disciple-making. If you or someone you know should be in need of care right now, or if you're feeling inspired by this message to offer care to others, let me just remind you of the many ways that you can give and receive care here at Grace. Cindy already mentioned Encourage, which is a, a weekly support group for people experiencing cancer. Grief Share offers support to those experiencing loss. Stephen Ministers offer a spiritual companionship in a difficult season of life. The nursing home ministry and the homebound ministry offer visits and phone calls to those who might be alone or hurting. The food bank provides groceries and household items in a time of need. The benevolence fund offers financial assistance in a time of crisis. Pastor Sonny oversees all of these ministries and, and, and she'd be happy to hear from you whether you want to receive care or offer care. So so these are some of the the formal ways of giving and receiving care at Grace. But what we're learning from the Scripture here today is that caring for one another isn't a program or a department. It's a way of life for disciples and disciple-makers of Jesus. And I'm happy to say that caregiving is beginning to feel like like a way of life for us here at Grace. Grace. One of the blessings to come out of the pandemic, I think, has been a greater awareness of and attentiveness to the people around us. I was talking with one of our security people last week. He's been around Grace for a couple of years and has spent time on all or most of our campuses, I'm sure. And as we talked about the congregation, he said to me, everybody around here really cares. You can see it. That was nice to hear. Well, before we finish, there's one more way to care that we haven't talked about yet, but it's both powerful and foundational. You can probably guess what it is, but let's turn to one more text, this one from uh, the Apostle James. We're looking at chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to turn and confess your sins to each other. (laughs) I mean, that's a powerful thing, too, but that's a subject for another sermon. What I am going to challenge you to do is to pray for one another. Keeping in mind that the healing James is talking about here isn't just physical healing. It's relational and emotional and spiritual wholeness one of the most powerful ways to care for another person is to pray for them. Not just think about them or send them a card or cook them a meal, as helpful as those things might be, but to lift them by name before the throne of God and invite God's healing, helping presence into their lives. And when you're hurting or struggling, Being prayed for doesn't just feel good, it actually unleashes the power of God into that pain or struggle. It might make it go away or be easier to bear, or it might make you stronger, draw you closer to Christ, enable you to bless others in and through your struggle. After the past couple of weeks, I know this to be true. Uh, Two Sunday mornings ago, I took a few minutes in the service uh, in Lexington to to briefly share with the congregation about my father's passing. And when I was done, Pastor Tim unexpectedly hopped up up onto the platform and invited the congregation to pray for me, uh, to to hold out their hands in my direction and to pray silently but personally for me and my family. It was a powerful moment. Uh, standing there and thinking that for those few moments, hundreds and hundreds of people were thinking about me and my father, mentioning his name and mine in prayer before the throne of God. It was was a healing moment for me. Well, the next Monday morning, I, I joined a weekly conference call with a group of New England pastors. They spent nearly half the call asking how I was doing and praying for me. And on Wednesday night that week, the day before we left for the funeral, our life group asked me to talk a little bit about my dad and how I was doing. They listened patiently and then prayed for me. Those prayers not only comforted and encouraged me, I believe they made a difference in the way the rest of that week went. We had a meaningful and wonderful weekend as we celebrated my dad's life and, and laid him to rest. There was nothing more we could have asked for or imagined from that day. Friends, if, if you don't have a circle of people who know you and pray for you like that, you need to get yourself into a group as soon as possible. Go to grace.org groups and, and find one that works for you. If you've never done something like that before, you might want to start with one of our four-week Lent groups we'll be talking about next week. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, James says, and a wonderful way to extend care to one another. And I know that not only because of my recent experience, but because I actually experienced it my whole life. As my father prayed for me and for my family and for my ministry. My brother and sister, we all told stories last weekend of how we could hear dad praying in his bedroom. I remember peeking under the door and seeing his knees on the floor and listening for my name. I, I was visiting with him just a couple of months ago. And before I left, I, I asked him to pray. And, and as we bowed and closed our eyes, I, I quickly grabbed my phone and, and, and recorded his prayer. Now, I did it purely for myself so, so I could hear him pray after he was gone. But it's such a wonderful example of, of what we're talking about today, I, I, I'd like to share it with you. So I, I missed the first few lines. It's not a great shot, but, but I think you'll get the idea.
3: But hear our prayers, O oh God, from the depths of our hearts and minds and souls. Give us your leading, your wisdom, in our acts today and tomorrow and the days to come, mm-hmm. especially in a world that changes day by day. But we know, Father, that it's in your plan and in your knowledge that these things will come to pass. Strengthen us, though, and, and the Church of Jesus Christ Awaken the church to the opportunities that are there. uh, Invigorate them somehow, Father, to move out into every aspect to reveal the love of Christ. In our own hearts, may that be true, not caught up in the movement of the day. Mm -hmm. So Lord, we ask your peace. We ask your presence in my life, Mm -hmm. Ryan's, in the ministry, Grace Chapel, Mm -hmm. and also, Father, for Barbara, that you would give her the peace. We thank you for some adjustments she has made, but we ask your presence to give her comfort. We don't know how to deal with that, but your presence might be with her in a special way. Mm -hmm. And Father, I do ask that strength might come. I might be open to things. Medicines might work. Mm -hmm. Wisdom might come from doctors that I will be available for her. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and mercies and care and provision over all these years and the abundance you have given. Mm-hmm. Throughout the years, O oh God, as I reflect back on the faithfulness and your providential work you so often, mm-hmm. so bless Brian and Karen and all the children. Yes, Overshadow oh, them, O oh God, with your grace and mercy as they grow choices that have to be made, we ask your presence with thanksgiving for the family we do have that you have given to us in Jesus' name.
0: When dad prayed for you, you didn't just feel prayed for, you felt cared for. And I know he prayed similar prayers for my brother and sister, for their families and their careers. I know he prayed that way for his friends for churches he belonged to and organizations he believed in, for the poor and the marginalized, and for missionaries all over the world. And those prayers were powerful and effective. That was on display last weekend as family and friends paid tribute to a humble man whose life had remarkable impact. Heaven only knows how many disciples were made as a result of those prayers and that care. So it turns out that thoughts and prayers are actually powerful ways of caring for each other, especially when they are accompanied by actions. Because when we care for one another in thought, word, and deed, we invite the power and presence of Christ into our lives and our community. So let's take a few minutes to do that right now as we close out this message. I'd like to lead us in a guided prayer for the people God might be putting on your heart today. As we bow in prayer, I'll call out a few prayer prompts and then allow you a few moments to bring a few people before the Lord in prayer by name. I'll even encourage you to pray out loud Whether you're watching alone or with a few people, let's just fill these next few minutes and whatever room you're in right now with caring prayer for one another and the world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares and who welcomes our prayers on behalf of those we care about. So hear our prayers, Lord for people we know who are struggling with health issues. Here are prayers for those we know who are experiencing grief and loss. Here are prayers for those we know who are facing financial difficulties. Here are prayers for those we know who are far from you or struggling with their faith. Here are prayers for those who are dealing with mental or emotional distress. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and for all the opportunities we have to care for one another and to be cared for. Continue, Lord, to teach us and guide us on this journey of discipleship. Give us the courage to embrace the risks and rewards of a with-others life. For your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world around us. Amen.